We are Science Fiction Remnant, a podcast for sci-fi lovers spanning across books, movies, TV shows, and games. This is Season 1, Episode 22, Movie 2001 Space Odyssey for October 23, 2020. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Science Fiction Remnant. Thank you so much for coming back. This means a lot to us. We hope that you find this episode as exciting to listen to as it was for us to create for you. If you like this show and know someone who might like this podcast, please share it. It would help us greatly in growing this channel. You can also follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Remnant and share any comments you have about this podcast with friends and family. Thank you. Well, everyone, welcome back to the show. This episode, I can't say trippy. I mean, I watched this movie twice and it just leaves me more puzzled every time I watch it. What do you think, Robert? Yeah, I, I remember the first time that I saw this, uh, this movie is... Um, 2001 ace uh, space odyssey um i was i didn't know what i was watching and apparently i i was not the only one that felt this way um this movie was um written and directed by stanley kubrick and most of you probably remember him from yeah, actually, we, we talked about one of the movies that he did that was inside a movie we discussed, uh, Ready Player One. He did The Shining, the, oh. ni- the 1980s The Shining. So most of you would probably remember Stanley Kubrick's mostly for that, you know, piece of horror classic. Um, and it, it was, uh, he's directed it, obviously, and he co-written with Arthur C. Clarke, which is one of those iconic sci-fi writers. I don't know if you ever read anything from him. No, to be honest, but who doesn't know The Shining? And I mean, honestly, when you look at the movie and how it's made, the musical element behind it, it's like, how can I put it, man? It's like you're getting a fork in the knife. And they're doing just spaghettis with it. <laughs> like, it desperates you, it gets into you, like, hits genius. That, I gotta give it to him. Yeah, the whole, the, the whole movie is... And just to put it in perspective, this movie was released uh, a, couple of ye- a couple of months after it was released in uh, the UK. Uh, in the US, it was uh, released on April 3rd, 1968. Um, the movie cost $10.5 million, and it made, at the box office, $146 million. And that's one of the mind-blowing things about this movie. The time in which it was made, and the quality that it has. I mean, if you don't tell somebody this movie was made more than half a century ago, they would not freaking notice. This is a, a typical movie, what I like to call uh, that stands um, with time. Yeah. When you look at it and, and it, it, it aged well, um, you know, obviously there's things that, you know, you, you look at it. But in overall, I mean, it's very easy to bypass those little things because they are just that little things. Yeah, I mean, it's not like watching a classic movie where the quality and special effects are not that great so you need to look past that you don't even have to bother with that in here that's how well made it is 
And and this is a little tidbit that I have for you. Um, you know, when you when you your comment when you first finished watching this movie, and then you told me like it was just mind blowing. It was like very at points very confusing. Yeah. Um, or at the premiere of this movie in the movie theaters, did you know that around two hundred and forty one people walked out? Oh wow! They walked out. Uh, including, um, I believe, Rock Hudson, who said, will someone tell me what the hell this is about? <laughs> <laughs> well, I cannot blame him. I felt like that had some points of the movie. <laughs> if he would have watched it till the end, he might have got that idea. <laughs> in, in Arthur C. Clarke, he, he actually said, if you understand 2001 um, um, completely, you know, he said we failed because I guess the oh, whole so his idea was to leave you fucking well, lost. Not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, his idea for this movie was to create questions. Yeah, it's a thought-provoking to, movie to to make your mind go and you know. So he said, if you understand this completely, we failed. You know, you you had to walk out of the movie with more questions than you walked in. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I mean, great job on. Fucking people's mind. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and also because of this reason, um, you know, the movie wasn't, was not initially a financial success, you know, um, at first. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if this happened all within the first week. Uh, Definitely not within the first day. Because, you know, the first day, you know, all, you could obviously see this is not a movie for everyone. Um, MGM was actually planning to pull the movies out of the theaters. Okay. And some of the theater owners actually convinced MGM not to pull the movie. Oh, wow. Uh, and and he, here's the interesting thing. Um, the, the reason why is because many of those owners notice an increased number of young adults attending. And specifically during the scene of the Stargate sequence. Um, it, it, it's kind of like the sequence is under the, like if you're under the influence on psychedelic drugs. Oh my. So this whole visual effect actually helped the movie because a lot of people wanted to experience that. Yeah, and imagine, this was a time where like, the hippies were on their peak doing acid. Yeah, but, <laughs> and what did I say when I was watching that shit that's for the first the reason, time? That's the reason why I brought it up. Because when you were looking at that and you said that, it's like, you know, that that's it. That. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> I told you, like, you cannot watch this shit dripping on acid. Because it'll fuck your mind forever. <laughs> like, you won't react. You will stay like the guy stay when he arrives at the destination. Until he gets old. You will stay like that <laughs> i'm telling you and and this and, and for all of you i don't know if you've ever seen um this is i always told you this this movie and it's obvious you know from from knowing that 241 people whacked out out of the theaters because <laughs> they didn't know what the heck they were watching this is a type of movie that you either love or hate there's no in between yeah and I don't know if you experienced that. I mean, you, you loved the movie. Yeah, I mean, it kept me hooked. It kept me on the edge of the seat. It just kept me getting more and more curious about what the heck is going on. 
So I'm venture to say, I would def definitely go out there and say that 50% uh, of you out there listening have not watched this movie. <laughs> yeah. So I I'm, I'm going to say it is not for everyone. Um, but if you are a sci-fi lover like we are, and I like to think that you are listening to a show because you're a sci-fi lover and you have not watched this movie, I recommend you watch it. And, and I mean, if you like a, a brainy movie, a thought-provoking movie, this is the movie. I'll get to tell you from most of the movies that we've watched, and we've watched some good movies that get you thinking. But this is the one that won't let you with all the answers on your hand. So it's, how can I put it? It's like when you go to the museum or art gallery and you look at a painting and it just means something different to everybody. And this movie was made expressively like that. And when you watch it, you're going to realize it is true. And it's an iconic, an iconic movie. And you realize that most of the sci-fi movies that you have seen after that date has borrowed at some point from this movie and not only that but even reality yes. has 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 actually borrowed from this movie look at the tablets they have in there exactly no 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 don't go that far when the guy arrived in a pan-american spatial airplane to the first base <laughs> what's the the kiosk that is there it's hilton hotel Yes. Which we actually have now on the space. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you and they, start looking at things and you're like, holy shit. Yeah, and, and uh, look at the Gateway Project, the one yes. that I showed you. <laughs> um, and I don't know if you guys um, have heard of the Gateway Project, um, but you want to go ahead and Google that out and yeah. you know freak out or look at up some videos on, on uh, YouTube. But uh, yeah, Hilton has a module. Um, so as soon as they start building that, they're going to, and, and it's fully functional, we'll be able to, you know, stay in a hotel in space. Yep. Everyone, the future is here. From <laughs> 1964, predicting 2001. That's the thing, too. When you watch this movie, it is very hard to remember this is a 1968 movie. Yeah. Because you're looking at all this stuff, and it's like... It what? looks totally actual. Like it was made nowadays. Yeah. That's, that's the messed up part of it. That's yeah. the messed up part of it. It's like, like you will never... Real, if you, it's what I said. If you don't tell somebody this movie was made in the late 60s, they would never have guessed it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, you watch it, and you tend to... You tend to forget, and then you come back. It's like, hold up a second. This is 1968. It's like, but but this is so realistic. The only thing that kind of, and still, it looks great. It's at the beginning of the movie with the monkeys. Oh, because oh. it's dressed up people. Did you know that the scene that we begin that the movie begin with? Did you know the, the the African landscape? Yeah. Did you know those were just photographs? Oh shit. <laughs> Here I am thinking they actually went to Texas or the Grand Canyon. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure that, the, you know, the other scenery that they did with the monkeys was actually filmed somewhere in maybe Arizona or whatever. But you know that that, that view that you see at the beginning, the no African idea. landscape, that's all photographs. No idea, man. <laughs> When I read what that, I was scam. like, oh my God. <laughs> what a scam. <laughs> so, you know, the movie, we, we begin the movie 
um, back in the Stone, uh, Stone Age, maybe? Uh, well, prehistoric, prehistoric uh, human, time, yeah. humans, or the, or the primates. And um, the primates, you know, they're going around their life, they're, 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 eating and you know and and socializing and there's clans and uh we have uh we see a me a clash between the two two different clans of primates um where one of the clans push the other clan away from the water source yeah so they're kind of like in essence stealing from you know this this clan that was already there um, then we are met with what they call the monolith. And um, it's kind of interesting because you would try to look what is the monolith and R2C Clark should be proud because there are pages after pages of people telling you what they think it might be. And there's just more questions. Nobody can tell. <laughs> so there's no real answer. Um, I mean, you can get an insight if you read the book, um, but still, um, this monolith is, is, is a huge, huge um, rectangular structure um, where it's completely black. And the best way that I can explain it is, and based on what I read in the book, is, is the, it's kind of like a black hole. It's black, not on color but for the lack of reflection. Mm -hmm. So it's sucking up, you know, light. Any reflection from any matter around it. And when you touch it, it's cool to the touch and it's soft. So the monkeys, or I'm sorry, the primates, <laughs> they look like monkeys to me, but the primates look at this structure and obviously, it, it, in, we are looking at the, at the screen and, and we can definitely see that this structure is definitely not... Something you know, natural to the surroundings. Exactly. It's completely out of place. So obviously, the primates, you'll hear them screaming and yelling. And, um, and, and don't and, forget, don't forget the creepy-ass motherfucking music in the background <laughs> that it just drives you nuts. I still, I gotta find out. I mean, I heard somewhere that it was created by, um, they got some monks mm -hmm. to sing it, and they altered digitally to sound that way. But uh, don't it, quote it me on that. It makes total sense. It's just what I told you. When I listen to the chantings... It just brings me back to me reading uh, Divine Comedy. Like, I feel like I'm walking through some You're of the circles of hell. You're descending to the seventh. Yeah, like, like, like I'm listening to, to those, like, choirs screaming, and I'm like, uh, yeah. oh, my God, where are the pools of blood and people boiling? <laughs> <laughs> it just gets, like, that creepy touch that gets you ticking. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I guess, in a way, and, and you probably will understand Way, why I mentioned, uh, you know, when the monolith came up. But basically, what we see, it, the monolith somehow opened up um, knowledge in the primates. Yes. To the point where we see one of the primates by accident or happenstance picked up a big piece of bone or, you know, from an animal. And it starts hitting things and notice that things are breaking and, and, and 
hits him harder, and eventually he's hitting a skull from, um, I guess, one of those animals that they were eating, and in essence learned how to use uh, tools, tools as a weapon. Yeah, because that's the funny thing. Before this part, they didn't show the primates hunting or killing other beasts. Yeah. Before, they would be eating and picking stuff up from the ground together, actually. Exactly. So, so it kind of marks uh, like a new era for them yeah. of evolution. So now we see this individual primate. Um, they go back to the water source. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're the other clan who kicked him out. And they started trying to reclaim that that was theirs. Yeah. And when the other clan starts to push them back, he, these primates started hitting with the, uh, with a piece of bone. Yeah. To the point where we could obviously deduct that he killed the other primate. Oh, straight dead. <laughs> I mean, the monkey was flinching on the floor. <laughs> so, so they reclaimed their water source. The other clan walks away. And we are met with a very iconic scene where he launch, launches that piece of bone into the air and he transforms into a spaceship, mm-hmm. into, um, you know, in space. Now, there's something very interesting that I discover. Um, that spaceship that we saw, um, technically, it's supposed to be a nuclear launcher in space. All right. So it has a very iconic meaning where the bone was the monolith way of showing the primates how to defend themselves and creating a weapon. So we see this first weapon that is a bone transition into the weapon of the day, which was a nuclear launcher from space. Yep. So I found that really, really interesting. And that's one of the fun things about the movie is that the way that they transition between topics and scenes, even though it's abrupt on the sense of what you're seeing, mm-hmm. still smooth enough that you don't feel like, whoa, what happened? You know? It's, I think, honestly, if I could call it something, the movie is kind of freaking poetic when it comes to cinematography and film. I think the, the magical combination um, in this movie is having an iconic writer like Arthur C. Clarke co-write the story mm-hmm. with an iconic director like Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Most definitely. And, and this is, is iconic. I mean, if you never watch this movie and you watch, and I actually experimented this with, with you, Giancarlo. Um, if you never watch this movie and when you watch it, you're definitely being, are going to be, you know, rushed with memories because media has been floated with not only the score from this movie, the iconic da 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 but also scenes from this movie. So as you watch it, season ideas. You have never watched this movie, but you're getting nostalgic. Mm-hmm. And 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 not only that too, because the some of the scenes are being copied into other movies. Yep. So this is 
a very iconic, very, you know, very powerful. And not only that, because the way, if you read the book before watching the movie, you're going to encounter yourself thinking, okay, how are they going to show this on film? The, the concepts are, are incredible. And when you watch this movie and you see how they converted the actual text into a visual, you're like shocked on how well they did it. Yeah, they did it. I mean, there's many takes that leave you possible, like the multi-gravitational fields inside the ships. Mm-hmm. Like, till this day, I still wonder how did they film it. Like, I would think that they have maybe where the camera is looking at that looks like it's t- tilted or something. It's actually sideways or something, you know? So, like, they did a great uh, play with the uh, the visuals, even in showing you uh, different surfaces. Uh, so, people will be walking upside down, sideways, uh, like, non-gravity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I told you, I pointed out when they went to the moon, uh, they were literally walking normally in the moon. Yeah. One thing, too, and, and just to, to change the subject a little bit, um, and, and back to your subject on the filming, mm-hmm. on how to make it so realistic, Stanley Kubrick had an issue with filming gravity. And the best example that I can bring up is the scene where the scientist is going on Panam airship to yeah. the space station. It was floating and sleeping. And you saw the floating pen. pen. They had, I can't remember how many times they recorded that scene and Stanley did not like it until they figure out one way. They stuck the pen with, I think it was tape, okay. to a glass. And if you pay close attention, when the stewardess come to grab the pen, you could see her Reflection. taking it out of the glass. Oh, you can, sh- for a brief moment, you can see that glass. And that was it, slick. <laughs> exactly. So when he saw that take, he said, that's it. That's how we do it. So I'm wondering, to your point again, when you're saying, you know, they're realistic and all this stuff, I'm sure that it's not going to be 100% realistic. By all means, this is a 1968 movie. God. <laughs> I mean, when you look at everything, when you look at the, at the little pots and everything, Mm-hmm. Uh, the aesthetics of the designs for the uh, suits, the ships. Our ships don't look a lot more modern than that. Yeah. Nowadays. Yeah. Even to be honest with you, and no exaggeration, like you look at the at the latest technology that SpaceX is using for going to NASA, doesn't look a lot more advanced than that. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we both have said in previous episodes, but. Science is always trying to catch up and make reality out of the art of science fiction. Yep, I agree. I agree 100%. I mean... Uh, At some point it was bullshit, it was unrealistic, and you give it 100 years, it's something normal. One example that I can give you. Um, they had, there was a discussion between Stanley and Arthur about the scene where we see Hal 9000 mm-hmm. reading the lips. Yeah. Inside the pod. Yeah. So Arthur says uh, he didn't like the scene. He's like, okay, you know, computers reading the lips, you know. And then as time goes by, 
he's quoted by saying, you know, Stanley was right. Because um, he, I guess he read some journals where he was discovering how computers are being taught and how to read lips. Yeah. So at that point, he realizes, you know, and I'm telling you, the combination of these two people, they're genius. Yeah. Because they're doing things in, in 1968 and showing and, and describing in such a way. Not only Arthur for writing the book, uh, well, co-write the book with Stanley, but the filming, the directing by Stanley, showing this this movie that you could watch now, and it, it could be a movie that was filmed today. That's true. That's true. And and going back to that scene, uh, I kind of find I found funny that for such more couple of guys they decided to tilt back the pod where the eye of Hall was looking at it yeah because honestly if i want to talk to somebody and i have a super smart badass ai computer controlling everything i'll make sure i can isolate myself as much as possible from that yeah. thing yeah so uh, i guess bringing continuity to this um scientists were brought in to the moon because they discovered the monolith and the moon mm -hmm. when the scientists and i'm going to do just a quick synapse into this when the scientists get to the moon and they get to meet the um the monolith and the monolith starts singing the the, the song from hell yeah <laughs> um call it that. so later on in the movie we discovered that it, it made a transmission in the vicinity of or directly at mm -hmm. um, Jupiter. So they designed a, um, a trip um, of a group of um, scientists okay. to go to Jupiter and find out what happened. And this is when, you know, it was it, the ship has been assisted by a supercomputer called mm -hmm. HAL 9000. And most of the scientists are put in cryogenics, so they're uh, totally asleep, except for two. Um, At some points, even just one. Yeah. So one is asleep, while the other one does his thing, and then yeah. when one wakes up, they do some combined, you know, task, and then the other one goes to sleep, and that's how it continues the cycle. Um, well, the computer, the AI, becomes psycho. Um, oh Jesus Christ! It kills one of the scientists, uh, strands the other one out in space, uh, kills all of the other ones that were asleep, and <clears throat> the scientist that was left outside is forced to go inside, turn off the machine, and continue on with the the you know the the, the mission. Yeah, and that's the the general idea of what happens into the movie. Um, did you know the breathing on the spacesuits, mm -hmm. especially in that scene when one of the scientists um, was out uh, into space? Uh, well, actually, not necessarily, but in every one of the scenes yeah. where they're in space, um, um, I believe it was uh, Dave Bowman. Um, he that that the sounds were actually <laughs> provided by Stanley Kubrick. All right, that's actually him breathing heavily. 
<laughs> and they use that sound. I, I, I think um, Katrina Kubrick was on record um, found to say that that was his, you know, breathing, his heavy breathing. <laughs> I just found that interesting. Um, so the, the, this brings a really good question on AI. Um, it's definitely a really good idea, especially for a ship that size when um, I want to say 90% of its crew is in sleep. Um, to have a computer control every aspect of the ship or mostly every aspect of the ship. Well, you need to every aspect yeah. because at one point, at some point during that trip, everybody will be asleep because yeah. we as humans need sleep. So this computer not only can I control every aspect of the ship or assist any, uh, any of the scientists, it also is designed to do some psychological ev evaluation, mm -hmm. which if you think about it is really needed. If you are going into a, um, a space mission, yeah. this, uh, this You're going to be caliber. locked up with no turn back with a couple of other people. You better, be better, better have control over your faculties if you're going to do that. Yeah. And, and you obviously need, if you, in case something happens, you need someone to help you come back if you can or someone to assist. Yeah. Um, but this AI becomes crazy itself. And the creepiest shit ever. I mean, they are walking around the ship and I don't know where you had this giant freaking eye just close up on the camera. <laughs> so it makes you think like what the heck is gonna go down here yeah so like everywhere you go uh, except for the pods um everywhere you go on the ship there's that eye and 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 every wall and and it's always looking at you it's always so and they focus it on the middle of the camera to give you that message to convey that that thing is looking at everybody on the ship in a way, in one way, if you want to be the devil's advocate, it's a good thing. As long as a system don't abuse the rights of privacy that is given. Well, I'm hoping they don't. So this movie is actually a cautionary tale. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, you hear in the news how, for example, Alexa is always listening to you. Yeah. And, and, and their reasoning is, you know, that they're listening because they're making the product better for you. And I, I you know, if I could, could be completely naive, I could believe that. I mean, that for all I know, they're being naive themselves and considering that to be the fact. The problem is, without security in place, which we don't know, security is never, yeah. never you know, ironclad. Never. Yeah. If there's a need, there is a way. That, I, that's what I always believe. So that, you know, all that data could be used against you. Mm -hmm. Because there's no security. That, that, for me, yeah, there's security. But if there's a way, there's always a need. That's I mean, true. That's true. Look at all the, all, all, all the things we hear in the news about uh, companies being compromised and, and, and gathering information on users. Yep. Uh, and now hackers are, you know, putting this in the black market. So that's why I always thought this movie, in a way, is also a cautionary tale. 
It's just like big data out there in the market, open for whoever <clears throat> can pay for it. Yeah. So now, when this happens, going back to the to the story, um, when he's finally entered the ship and he turns the computer off, um, he decides to continue on his mission, which was going to Jupiter. Yeah. <clears throat> and when he gets to Jupiter, we we are met with another monolith. Mm-hmm. Because they are across the world, if I'm not mistaken, in different places, right? Well, we had this conversation because we see Dave Bowman get out into a pod and he appears to cross or enter. And, and again, you, you let me know what you think because we never see this. This is part of what Arthur C. Clarke and Kubrick wanted to do, yeah. create more questions. But to me, it seems like he crosses into this monolith. And my opinion, and, and I'm sure many of you who have seen this movie would probably have a different opinion, you know, based on what I find on Google and what everybody thinks about the monolith. But for me, this was a three-dimensional door into a higher dimensional um, universe. I agree with you. That's, that's, what, that's what I could take away from the monolith based on the constant interaction first between the primates and then at the end with the main actor so and that explains why we see all these psychedelic images yes into the screen and and i think about it let me let me give you an example um there has been some reports on of, of astronauts being in space mm-hmm. where a particle, a um, re, re, I don't know if it's real radioactive wave okay. or a small wave crosses their eye in space, and and they see like weird lights. Okay. So based on that. If you have, you enter this, this higher dimensional universe, number one, we have no idea how that looks like. No. We, are th- we just have as a reference what we know was matter. Exactly. Which is not all of it. We see our surroundings a few seconds later because of what we're actually seeing are a reflection of light bouncing the object. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, bats. Yeah. That sonar, except we're doing it with light. That's true. Uh, which is better because light travels faster. Now you have Dave Bowman, the doctor, walk, going into a third dimensional world or universe, into a higher dimension. We don't know how high this dimensional is. Oh, no idea. Could be four, could be eight, could be whatever. The point is, you know, how do we see in that higher dimension where time is part of space? Yeah. And, and basically, basically how, how these individuals, because that's something that led me a little bit puzzled by the end of the movie. 
you cannot tell the level of wisdom of the new form the main character takes. Yeah. When he transforms. So he, so it looks like a baby, but it lets you wonder what level of wisdom this creature now has. Now, my interpretation, and you know, and again, this is the perfect movie because everybody can have a different interpretation and that doesn't make it wrong or doesn't make it right. Absolutely. Because that's the object. That's what Arthur that's what and want. Kubrick wanted, you know? But when we look at Dave, Dave Bowman crosses into this higher dimensional universe and we see all the psychedelics because that's basically how uh, we can interpret what he's seen, what he's feeling what he's looking at what he's looking at and and all of a sudden he's encountering himself in this room um very victorian-esque yeah but also that is very sterile yeah it is it's sterile to the point of looking odd because i mean a victorian house is very you know elegant yeah this didn't this lip elegant but it also looked very simple weird and simple exactly so we see him and in this series of scenes migrating to an older an older state all the way to seeing him all the way into a bed which appears to be his deathbed Mm mm-hmm and I think that he cannot see himself like they try to convey it. That's just the symbolization of time pass- passing by. I, I think, in a way, since it's a higher dimension than three, mm-hmm. okay? In a way, I think that is just uh, Kubrick's way All right. to show that this being it exists in, in all times. Because if you're higher than three dimensions, the time is part of space. So you can move back and forward. Yeah. You know, kind of like what we, if we go and if you guys go listen to the episode on the arrival, we explained it a little better how, you know, a being that is in a fourth or fifth dimension exists, you know, in its, at its birth and at its death. And it can go back and forward and he's, he can influence the, he can change the past um, to alter the future, as well as changing the future to alter the past. And this is something that we can't, as third dimensional beings, can't really grasp. Yep. And, and this is Kubrick's way to show this. And, and this is why you were, when you were saying, okay, we see him, you know, this is it. This is, this is when he dies. Yep. And this is when I say, well, not. Not really. This is where the where his journey begins. Because after that death scene, we see him as a baby yep. in a womb. That's true. And that's the perfect way to show how this being can travel uh, along its own timeline mm-hmm. between its birth and its death. And, and that is so poetic. When you see him in his deathbed, and the next scene, he just transforms. He's a he's a baby. Yeah. Tim Burton's sickness. Huh? 
He has the sickness of Tim Burton. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, and then we see him travel to Earth. Now, he is a higher dimensional being looking down on Earth, which is a third dimensional universe. Okay. And this is when I made the comment, and he's looking at that, and he can, he's connected with the universe, and he's, he can see everybody, he can feel anybody, everybody in the earth. And that's very, like, for, when I first, and I, I have to admit this, when I watched the movie for the first time, and this is, pri I, and I made the big mistake of watching the movie and not reading the book, but um, I, I read it after the fact. Um... This scene was very, very confusing to me. I didn't, and I understand why those 200 and some people walked out of the theaters. What do you think? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very confusing. But now that I have watched it after so many times with the experience that I have, you know, reading, reading the book a couple of times, reading about the, the different uh, levels of existence, And this makes a lot more sense to me. It does. And I don't know if you remember, when I saw it the first time, I kind of got the hint that that was kind of what was happening. And you have an advantage at your side. You read the book before you <laughs> actually watched the movie. I, I, multiple times. Because of that, it, it bothered me. It, it, is, and it, is, it is that kind of movie. It's the kind of movie that you can watch it five, six times. You're just going to realize new and newer things as you rewatch it. That's the beauty of it. You know, yep. it's like that toy that you can just play and play with it and you still get that feel of new experience with it. Mm -hmm. That's what they created with this movie. I, I, and this is the perfect movie for a group of sci-fi lovers to sit down and discuss. Mm -hmm. There's going to be, it's incredible how many, and I have gone online to read about this movie. And I can, I can tell you how many different theories I have seen. And they all make sense. Yep. They are completely different, and they all make sense. And that's the thing. It's not like there's wrong answers. It's just there's many ways that things can be explained, though they don't necessarily have to be the same thing. Yeah. And, and I see, I would, I would love to have a conversation with all of you guys. Um, I mean, we have a Discord channel if you wanted to. Absolutely. But this, is, and you can find it in our, on, our, on our page um and a show page but this is one of those movies that i i just love talking about um because of all the different things and and my hats off to kubrick and arthur because they did it yeah they actually they it's, it's just what i said at the beginning of the show like it's not like i've watched a movie like this before oh. i have not does it create the effect in your head Uh, doesn't keep you that puzzle mm -hmm. as it goes on. Like you see what's happening, you see the development of the movie, yet you keep on getting more and more puzzled as the movie progresses. Yeah, and it's it's such they do such a great job. But I don't know if you realize, but there was no dialogue the first twenty five minutes of the movie. Yeah. Also, the last twenty three minutes of the movie. Yep, there wasn't any dialogue neither. Now, I might understand the last 23 uh, you know, minutes of the movie. You know, it didn't need dialogue anyways, but it, it might not be um, as understood. 
you yeah. know, because that's what happened to me at the last part of the movie. I was really lost. But if you look at the first 25 minutes of the movie, it, you understand it. it remember, we we're talking about the, the, the primates. Yeah. There's no dialogue whatsoever. But yet but you, you understood exactly what was going on. You get it completely. And that's, that's the beauty when, when a director knows, knows how to employ on their films good body language. Mm-hmm. Talking is just secondary. You can tell a lot of things just with action and movement. Yeah. And the whole narrative the, the whole narrative is just laid out in there. But you effortlessly get what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean it, it it's an iconic movie. And I mean when I heard you haven't seen it, I was like, you know what? Maybe we should do an episode on this because this this is an iconic movie for a reason. And I have to watch it again. That's yeah, the truth. I I really want to get your opinion after you read the book. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna have to. That's gonna be really interesting. Um, yeah. So if you guys have not seen this movie, um, and you're sci-fi lovers, I'm I, I'm sure there's gonna be quite a few of you that have not seen this movie because it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. You know, like I said, people walked out of the movie theaters. <laughs> so. If you like sci-fi and you haven't seen this movie, um, go ahead and watch it. And, and you know... It's a must-watch, everyone. Get, us, get, us, get up on Discord and let's discuss it. Um, I'm really curious to see um, all the multiple points of view um, about this movie. Yeah, your interpretations about the things that we were be, we've been talking now throughout the show on parts of the movie. Uh, we will be more than interested. We know that probably the things that we both caught while watching the movie, what we understood, it's just like we said, there's many answers to many things and none of them are wrong. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Let us know. Well, this is the end of our show for now. Please let us know if you like this episode. And if you have any ideas about which topics you'd like us to discuss for the next episodes. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Remnant, and if you like this podcast, please share it. And don't forget to rate us in your favorite podcast platform. This will help us grow. Thank you. See you next time. This is Science Fiction Remnant, signing off.